Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. We've been walking through this, and we got several guests here this morning. We're walking through this uh, study. I don't want to take too much time. I was told that I'd take a long, long time in, in the recaps here, so I'm going to try to <laughs> hurry, hurry up with this recap here. Um, we've been walking through a journey in Scripture in Genesis so far, looking at the lineage of Joseph. And basically, we've started where Jacob, his father, has uh, stolen the things that he's stolen from his dad, from his brother, ran away, got a couple wives, and he's made a big mess of things because not only has two wives, but he also has children by their two handmaidens. And so uh, it's a big mess. He's done all this time with his father-in-law, who is also his uncle. And uh, now they are looking to get back to where uh, Jacob came from. Um, again, we'll talk about a little bit of this as we go along the way, but uh, Joseph has just been born. And again, that's the character that we're going to be studying primarily. But we had to get a little bit of background. We had to find out a little bit where he came from because, uh, again, the, the hope in all of our lives is that as we're getting to know each other, we, we have to first learn from where someone's come from to truly understand, I think, who they are. And uh, so that's what we're trying to do with Joseph is kind of understand the background, where he came from, and then we'll study his life and what he went through and then move forward uh, as time allows, and not today, in this study, um, what God did through his life and what we even still have today. So, uh, but again, last sermon, we looked at um, these two wives that Joseph has, Leah, I mean, uh, Jacob has, Leah and Rachel. He asked them to come out into the field, and in the field, he tells them what God had told him, uh, that they got to go back to where he came from, his, the, the land of his father. And uh, they basically say, hey, do whatever God told you to do. And that's where we're going to pick up because we're going to see exactly what their response is and what they do after that. Um, because it's, it's so interesting when I, when I look at this and I think, you know, put yourself in this situation. Put yourself in the, if you're a lady, if you're a wife, put yourself in, in, in this, uh, this situation as far as your husband saying, uh, this is what we're going to do. If you're a man, put yourself, well, it's hard to put ourselves in Jacob's situation because he had two wives and, and, and a couple of handmaids. But um, again, so much that we've seen in this study, I think we have a lot more uh, this morning that we can gain from this, and, and I hope we do. So uh, let's pray, and we'll get into this. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you again for allowing us to uh, just be here and be in your presence. Thank you for the opportunities you've given us already uh, this morning in the Sunday school hour, in the time of prayer this morning. Uh, we thank you for the time of worship through song and through giving. And Lord, we want to continue just to honor you. We want to continue to worship you make you the center of, of everything today. Uh, we set this day aside for you, and we want you to be honored on it. Lord, we want you to be honored even in our response to your word this morning. Uh, if there's someone here today that's never surrendered their life to you, never experienced that free gift of salvation, that gift of eternal life that only you can offer, I pray that they would receive that today as they surrender their life to you before they leave this place. Um, Lord, if, if there are those here today that are struggling in their walk with you, Maybe they're holding on to certain things. I pray that those things would be let go. Uh, again, that your, the response to your word in this message today would be what's pleasing to you. Again, use me as a vessel. Just speak through me what you want spoken. Uh, withhold my words. And again, allow yours just to fr uh, freely flow. We'll praise you for all this, God. We ask you to move now in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, so um, I, I'll share, you a little, uh, share with you a little story. Uh, about 21 years ago, um, Rochelle and I started uh, dating, if you will. And uh, 18 years ago, as I said, we got married. Um, and when I started uh, dating her, I realized real quick that her, she was real close to her family. And it was um, you know, very obvious and again, after 21 years of being together and 18 years uh, being married, uh, that closeness is different for her and for, for us, but it still remains today. And, and I went back and, and I was thinking um, about the day that I talked to her mom and dad about wanting to marry her. And I remember sitting in their living room and kind of uh, laying out my, my, my thing there. And, and, I, and I know that they, they were excited and they wanted to, but I, I remember very vividly uh, her mom being super excited. I mean, Vicky was just elated. She was like, yes, 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 yes. And David just kind of sat there and, and he was, you know, kind of thinking through some things. And, and she was like, you know, because I, I asked, you know, may I have her hand in marriage? And, and they, and, and Vicky was like, David, tell him yes. You know, <laughs> and, and uh, but it was funny because um, David's number one concern at that moment, now you have to understand at that point in time, they, uh, they were lost. They hadn't, they hadn't given their life to Christ yet. And so um, his number one concern at that point in time was that his daughter was going to be taken care of. And that's what, like, he's, uh, I, yeah, I, I, he was telling Vicky, I, yes, I, I will, but I just, I, I, I want to know, you know, you know I'll I give you my blessing, but are you going to take care of her? Are you going to, you know, I know you're going to, you know, love her and stuff, but I mean, how are you? Because at the time I was going to college, I was working at a bank, uh, my plan was to go into some kind of medical field of some kind, and he just wanted to hear it from my mouth. This is my plan. This is what, this is how I see us being able to survive. And, uh, and so after I kind of laid it out, you know, I'm going to continue to go to college, or she'll go to college, you know, would, uh, you know I'm going to finish this and go into this, this field. Well, within a couple months, God had called me in the ministry, and within six months, I had surrendered into the ministry, and I went, you know, and, and just... Uh, meeting with them and talking with them, David's, you know, curiosity got the best of him after all this. And so he came back and he asked, so uh, what now? You know, how, how, how are you going to take care of, uh, of the family now? Because, again, he didn't have any idea about, about what that looked like. Uh, but the point is this. Um, he had a genuine care uh, for his daughter and for both of, both of his daughters, uh, for them to be taken care of. And... Um, that was his concern. He wasn't concerned about uh, what would happen later on, if we could take care of him. No, his number one concern was that his daughters would be taken care of. And I say all that and I share all that because in our study, we're going to see a little bit different story. Uh, Laban, again, Rachel and Leah's dad, up to this point has been all about himself. He's been wholly consumed and concerned about himself the entire time. Now, I understand there's also a different culture that was then that we have now, again, completely different situation in some regards. Um, but this, this relationship that, that they had, Laban and his daughters, and the way that Laban treated his daughters, I believe provided this framework for what we're going to see this morning in Scripture. Um, and the way that he treated his daughters, you might, you might wonder, well, what would this do to them? What would this do to them in their relationship moving forward? And I don't know how, uh, you know, you ladies, how your relationship is with your dad and stuff. Uh, I know that there are several in here that have great relationships with their dad. Some don't have uh, a great relationship, maybe don't know their dad. But 
Um, most of you probably have an understanding of what that looks like. And um, again, you can imagine, this, this could be a lot better than what we've seen so far. So what does it do to the daughters? What, how, how do Leah and Rachel respond to how their dad has treated them? And so if you got your Bibles in Genesis 31, look at this, verse 14. It says, And Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, Again, let me recap real quick. Jacob had just told them what God had told them. Hey, I got to go back to my, the land of my fathers. And he explained to them, this is what we got to do. This is what I've done. He's laid out his case. I've served your, I've served your father. Uh, I, 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 took, I, I did this, this situation with these cattle. Now we have these things. We got to go. And this is their response. Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, is there any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not counted of him, of, of him strangers? For he hath sold us, and hath quite devoured also our money. For all the riches which God hath taken from our father, that is ours and our children's. Now then, whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do. Now again, I, I've only known the, the relationship uh, with Rochelle and, and, and her dad, and, uh, and, and uh, one father-in-law, and so... I don't know any other, I know other experiences people have had and have shared and stuff, but when I look at this, I'm thinking, you know, remember, Jacob's trying to get out of this. He's trying to get out of the situation. He's trying to get out of Dodge. He's trying to get back home. And the first thought that comes to my mind when his, his wives start saying, you know, well, our dad has treated us like this. He's stolen all our money. He, he thinks that we're, he, he treats us like we're strangers. So you do whatever God tells you to do. Jacob's like, yes, you know. All right, you know, I got him on my side. I don't have to worry about, you know, fighting with dad and, 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 and his daughters. Um, but I, I, I look at this and I can't, but, can't help but see this glaring issue coming out in, 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 those, in those verses right there. And I don't know if you see it or if you, you catch it, but it's in there. And here's what the glaring issue is. This bitterness and this resentment towards their dad. Again, he, they, they said, look, our dad treats us like strangers. He's taken all the money that was ours and our grandchildren, and, and, and he's just taking it for himself. He could care less for us. So you know what, Jacob? You do what God has told you to do, and we're okay with that. Again, I think there's quite a bit of resentment, quite a bit of bitterness there involved here. But look what happens as, as verse 17 continues. Then Jacob rose up. He set his sons and his wives upon camels, and he carried away all his cattle and all his goods which he had gotten, and the cattle he was getting, which he had gotten in, in Paddan Aram. Now, isn't that interesting? There's a lot of getting and gotten in there. <laughs> getting and gotten and gotten. And, and, and so, in Fortigo to Isaac, his father, land of Canaan, and Laban went to shear his sheep. And Rachel has stolen the images that were her father's. That's interesting. Continue on, verse 20. Jacob stole away unawares to Laban, the Syrian, in that he told him not that he fled. So he fled with all that he had, and he rose up and passed over the river and set his face toward the Mount Gilead. Now, interesting. Again, I just wanted to kind of get that, that text read and get that out there because you, you, you see what just happened, right? Um, his daughters were, were done with him. They're ready to follow Jacob wherever Jacob leads them. And so Jacob says, great, let's all get on camels. Let's get out of Dodge. Let's go back to uh, Canaan. And so they, that's what they determined to do. But before they leave, Rachel says, I'm going and getting something. She goes in and steals the idols that her dad had. And then Jacob and them, they all, they all steal away or they snuck away uh, without Laban knowing what was going on. The first question I have this morning is this. Is it right to steal? 
Uh, thank you. <laughs> it's a silence over the church. Hmm. <laughs> Turn over to Exodus chapter 20. No, I just... <laughs> No, it's not right to steal, even if it seems justified. Now, maybe uh, Rachel thought that it was what she owed, it was owed because of how her dad treated her and the things that he had done. Maybe she thought, you know what, uh, if I don't have any inheritance, if I don't have any money, at least I can take these things for myself. Or again, that she was wronged in not being allowed to marry Jacob first. Maybe that was her thought that, you know what, I'm going to get him back. But secondly... I, I, not only is stealing wrong, secondly, this paganism that obviously, I believe, obviously had influenced her in her life. It was not right, it's not good that she wanted it still in her life, these idols for herself. Again, whether it was to, to, to get some type of inheritance or to get back at her dad, or if she thought, you know what, I need this. Regardless, she hadn't encountered the purpose of turning to the one true God. She was still wanting to have these idols in her life and she was okay with having these idols in her life again whether it was for payback whether it was for what she owed or whether she thought it was actually going to help her moving forward and i think this reveals a truth that many people still hold today and and i want you to, to look at it in your notes and write it down if you have your notes there and it's this you can't run to god with idols in your hand you can't run to God with idols in your hand. Again, remember what Rachel said to Jacob. She said that, hey, do whatever God tells you to do. We're going to follow you. They were on board with doing what God wanted to do, going back to where God had called them to go. But she was miscalculating something. She was thinking that she could kind of do things her way. She could still hold on to the things that she wanted or thought that maybe we're going to bring her security or whatever. She thought that it was going to be okay to do this and run to God. And again, that's a, that's a grave mistake. And again, many people still make that mistake today. A lot of theologians believe that um, the reason why this was such an important part to put in Scripture is because uh, in this story, Laban had probably, based on what kind of idol these, these were and the time and, 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 and where he was from, these idols were probably something that Laban re, um, relied upon for security himself, for protection himself. He was thinking he had them in his home, and they were going to be his insurance plan. They were going to be what protected him and kept his family safe and blessed. And again, maybe that's why Rachel, Rachel took these idols herself, a little bit of insurance policy on their journey to a land that she's never been before. Regardless, we see in Rachel that her trust wasn't absolutely in the Lord. She wasn't completely relying on what God had told her husband and trusting in God to lead the way. But I want to say this morning, that's what running to God is. It's trusting in Him alone. It's faith in Him alone. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says that without faith it's impossible to please God. That he that comes to God must know that He is and that He's a rewarder of them that dil diligently seek Him. And so it's, it's an absolute confidence of trusting in God. And I want to, I want, I want to say something that with this point number one, uh, that you can't run to God with idols in your hand. But I also want to say this. I'm not in this. I'm not saying that we can make ourselves good enough to go to God. No man is good. There's none righteous. No, not one. We don't make ourselves good enough to go to God. But please listen to this. Surely we can't bring anything with us when we go to God other than a cross. 
Bible says that we've got to lose everything. And so here, here's the interesting thought is, is there's a lot of people that I've had conversations with about uh, salvation and, and about heaven and about hell. And there's this misconception among mankind that we can indeed make ourselves good enough for God. There's also this misconception that in, in our lives that we can still hold on to certain things and follow Jesus Christ with everything that we have. Again, both are misconceptions. Jesus said this. He says, he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men, in Matthew chapter 16. Our own ideas, our own life can be the idols that we have. Did you hear that? Our own ideas and our own life also can be the very idols that we hold on to. Well, I would rather not, or I would rather, well, what does God say? But again, we, we, we'd rather hold on to that, those, those little idols. Again, look, I'm, I'm following God. I know what God said to this, but, but I, see, that's what Rachel was doing. She, she said, I'm going to go. I'm going to follow you, Jacob. I, listen, if God said it, let's go do it. Do what God said for you to do. But she ran in real quick and got those little idols. Again, whatever it was for, whatever reason it was for. I, I'll just hold on to these. Maybe if this doesn't work out, again, there's a lot of people that do this in their life. And I believe even Christians get to a place sometimes where we begin to hold on to what we once let go of. Whether it be our own life, whether it be things that bring us security, whether it be things that come in our life that, that, that offer us some type of false security. But look in verse 24 in, in Matthew 16. It says, Then Jesus said unto the disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what's a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall he reward every man according to his works. Why is it that Jesus said the only thing that we can bring with us when we come to him is a cross? Why, why can we only bring a cross when we run to God? What does the cross represent? Well, it can mean shame. It can mean burdens. It can mean all kinds of things. But primarily the cross represents death. And the irony in, in what the cross represents is, is, is while it means or represents death, it also represents life and freedom. And so the only way for us to experience life and freedom is to truly leave everything behind and bring the cross, the cross that, that we're crucified on, that we, we run, run to God in. Again, Scripture tells us the only way for us to receive eternal life that God offers through Jesus is to give up our life, but specifically give up our life to Him. When somebody says, well, I, I, I would rather go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. The only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. The Bible says it very clearly. Jesus himself stated that. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And again, here we see Jesus saying again, if you're going to come to me, 
You've got to deny everything in your life. You've got to deny yourself. You can't hold on to the idol of your own control. You can't hold on to the idol of your own life. You can't hold on to the idol of your job. You can't hold on to the idol of your money. You can't hold on to the idol of your 401k. You can't hold on to the idol of your health. You can't hold on to the idol of anything in this life. You've got to lay everything down. If you're going to come to me and follow me, you've got to lay everything down. The only thing that you can bring is a cross you're crucified on and that's how you that's how you can follow me again we look at Rachel I think I'm gonna grab this and then I'll be okay nope can't do that so interesting brother Jeffrey said Galatians chapter 2 and I, I looked over at brother Robert and he said in verse 20 I looked over at brother Robert and I said that's crazy I'm using that this way he looked at my notes I know where is he at says this, I'm crucified with Christ. This is the Apostle Paul saying, nevertheless, I live. Think about that. I'm, I'm dead with Christ, but I live, he says. But it's not me, it's Christ living in me. Look what he says further. In the life which I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, in similar fashion, in Matthew chapter 16, Luke chapter 14 says this, if any man, this is Jesus, come after me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also. Look what these words say. He cannot be my disciple. That's not something some preacher said. That's not something some theologian said. That, this is something that God said. It's not something that you can debate with or that you can, you can speculate on. This is Jesus, God in the flesh, saying, if you want to come after me, you can't come after me unless you love me more than you love your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sister, and even your own life. You can't come after me if you don't love me, if you're not devoted to me more than all of these other things. And I know the pious thing to do, even the Christian thing to do in 2018 is to say, I'm there. But I think let's, let's get real and honest with ourselves and, and, and ask that question of ourselves, am I really there? Do I really love Jesus Christ more than my own life? Do I really love Jesus Christ more than my own comfort? Than my own security? Because I'm wondering what it would look like if, if, if our lives really started getting, getting tested and tried. You know that song that Brother Sean just sang? Even if he doesn't bring us out of the fire. We'll still trust you. We'll still serve you. What if our jobs went away? What if our bank account went away? What if our homes, our vehicles, everything, our health diminished? What if all these things went away? Would we still love him more? Verse 27, and whosoever doth not bear his cross, there it is again, the cross, and come after me cannot be my disciple. If you're not willing to die, if you're not willing to die to yourself and die to all these things, you can't follow Jesus Christ, he says. For which of you intended to build a tower, sitteth not down first, counts the cost, whether he has enough money to finish this tower. Lest happily after he had laid the foundations, not able to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him. Look, this guy's a fool. He started to do something he didn't count the cost on, and now he can't finish it. It's a similar thing. Yeah, I'll follow Jesus Christ, but cannot know you can't. It's everything. It's all or nothing. It's going to take all that you have to surrender to him. Man to begin to build, build, not able to finish it. What king going to war? In verse 31, 
against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able to with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand, or else while the other is yet a great way off, and is a, an ambassador and desires conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he has cannot be my disciple. You can't run to God with idols in your hand. Christians, we can't run for God with idols in our hands. Did you, did you hear the, 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 the point number one is you can't run to God with idols in your hands, but for us Christians who have already turned our lives over to him, who have already borne our cross and have already left all and forsaken all to follow him, the reality is we can't run for him with idols in our hands. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. I love this set of scriptures because in chapter 11, it's the, it's the, it's the hall of faith. It's, it's those, those people who God have, has used throughout ages to say, look, these people exhibited faith, and this is what God did through their faith. And in chapter 12, we come and he says this. So in light of all these, these witnesses, in light of all these people that have gone before us who have lived this life of faith, fully trusting in God, that's what he says. Seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, look what he says. Let us lay aside the weight. What is the weight? Many, I, I think it'd be many things. But I think that, that one of those things can be the junk in this life or the idols that we pick up for ourselves. Because then he goes on, he says, and the sin which does so easily, easily beset us. And look what he says next. And let us run with patience. We can't run for God with idols in our hand. We can't say, look, I'm gonna be, I want to be an effective child of God. I want to I be an effective servant. I want to be an effective minister and still hold on to the things that we say I have to have in my life. Look, as Christians, the reality is this. This is how we're supposed to live our lives. I don't have to have anything in my life except for Jesus Christ. Remember, some of you remember uh, th that I shared that. Uh, I can't remember who uh, the, the, the quote is from. Um, maybe it was John Piper. But he, he, he went on and he said, um, imagine heaven. Would you be okay with heaven without Jesus? If you could have everything that you, you, you ever loved to eat, all your friends, all the fun activities you had, all of the hobbies, all of the, 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 the things that bring you joy and, and happiness in this life, you could have heaven. If that would be heaven, would you be okay with it being that without Jesus? For us, we're supposed to live our lives like for me to live as Christ and to die as gain because he is my everything. He is my everything. That's how we're supposed to live our lives. And that's what it says in verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, I believe that's the church, his people, endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So think about him. Consider him. Think about him all the time because he endured such contradiction of sinners against yourself lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Again, Rachel wasn't going to please God. She was not going to please God. She wasn't going to be able to run to God, truly. She was not going to be able to walk with God, and especially she was not going to be able to walk for God with these idols in tow. But just as important, if not more important, was why she did it. As I said, I, I don't know 100% why. Was it bitterness? Was it greed? Was it um, a, a false sense of protection? 
But I think the question why points to this important topic, which is the motive of her heart. What she was motivated by. When we look at her conversation, when we look at the conversation with, with Jacob, and then we see what she does in stealing these idols from her dad, the, the, a, a logical and I think a rational, I think even a theological conclusion would be that the motive of her heart was a little bit more than maybe putting trust in something pagan. The motive of her heart was maybe a little bit more than finding some security in something of this earth. Again, there's nothing good and justified about what she did. But I believe we look at the motive of her heart based on the statement she makes to her husband, and we can see that it was her bitterness and resentment. Again, maybe possible greed, maybe payback. Regardless, the motive of her heart, it was wrong, and those motives blinded any possible judgment or any possible right judgment or right decision that she could make. And guess what, guys? The same thing is true for us today. When we allow our thoughts and therefore our attitudes and the motives of our lives to be governed by these things as well, these fleshly things, bitterness, resentment, envy, greed, all these things, we too become blinded from right judgment and right decision making in our life. You've probably seen it even in your jobs if you've been working for a long time. Somebody gets upset, somebody gets envious, somebody gets bitter, somebody gets resentful, and how do they act in that? They, don't, they, they begin to make some really foolish decisions sometimes. They're blinded by those, those flesh and motives. Point number two this morning is you can't be driven by fleshly attributes and expect spiritual blessings. We can't be driven by fleshly attributes and expect spiritual blessings. God's mercy, his, his grace, his faithfulness is to be expected, but it's not to be exploited. Every single day, we saw this again Wednesday, last Wednesday night, Lamentations chapter 3 says, great is his faithfulness. His compassion is new, is every morning. And without those things, we would be utterly cut off without the compassion, the mercy, the grace, the goodness, the faithfulness of God. We would get what we deserve, which is death by our sin, because of our sin. We see God's grace, we see his mercy, we see his compassion, and it abides in our life. It's sufficient every day for our life. When we say, I don't know that I can do it, yes, we can, because God's grace is sufficient. But I want to again say this morning that we're not to use these blessings of God's grace, his compassion, his, his mercy. We're not to use those things as a means to do what we want and then expect God to be okay with it still. Nowhere in Scripture do we see that. Now, we see, like in this, in this study, where J Jacob continues just to make one bad decision after the next, and God's grace still shows up, and God's mercy still shows up. But nowhere in Scripture have we seen so far say, where we see Jacob say, you know what, I know God's not okay with this, or he's probably not going to be okay with this, but I'm going to do it anyways because I'm going to expect his, his blessings or his, his grace to still show up. We don't see Jacob trying to exploit it. Now, maybe he did. Maybe that was in the motive of his heart at some, time, at some point in time. But I will say this again, because Scripture tells us that His mercy is new every morning, that His grace is sufficient, that His grace abides, that it's the grace that we stand in right now, because th that's what Scripture tells us, you and I can expect these blessings from God, the, the grace, the mercy, the compassion, absolutely. But again, because they're expected doesn't mean that they can be exploited. 
Did Rachel have a relationship with God at this point in time? I would say no. Maybe a knowledge of him because she, she acknowledged that to her husband Jacob. She said, hey, whatever God told you to do, do. But I, I don't know that, and I don't know that I can believe that she has a relationship with him by faith. But what we have seen in her life and in her heart is that she was filled with this bitterness and there's resentment, resentment for her dad. And what we see is, 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 is evidently it's driving her in her life. This bitterness, this resentment, this, this, this anger, whatever it is, is driving her in her life. Listen, this morning, if, if you're letting bitterness reign in your heart, then there's no hope that you have for your attitude, your actions, or your speech to be right. There's no hope for that. If, if bitterness reigns, if envy, jealousy, greed, if these things, these, these fleshly uh, attributes are, are reigning in your life, there's no hope for the right ac- outcome to the things that we do and say. If those things are there, then you'll continue to be governed by this fleshly drive. And what will end up happening, is similar to what I said a while ago, is there'll be one fleshly decision piled on top of the other. And you begin to make this big mess Again, if you're, letting this, if you're letting anger, if you're letting resentment, if you're letting bitterness, pride, take up residence in your heart and in your mind, then know that you can only expect carnal, sinful fruit to come. That's it. But the sad thing about this is, is, is when Rachel went in there and, into her dad's house and she grabbed those idols real quick, you know, I'm going to show him, or I'm going to do whatever the case may be. Bitterness, resentment, whatever was in her, in, in her heart right there. She did that, he'll, he'll never know. He'll, you know, whatever. She was blinded. She was blinded to that, that it was not just affecting her, that it was not just getting back at her dad, so she thought, but it was affecting everyone around her, including her children and her husband and everybody that would be traveling with them. She was blinded to that. She was blinded to this bitterness and this resentment driving her. She had no idea what the greater effect was in her life. And again, the same is true today. People who think that they can operate in this resentment and bitterness or any other f- fleshly attribute, anger, pride, whatever. And, and that they could experience any type of spiritual victory or spiritual freedom from the choices they make, they're mistaken. This morning, if, if that's where you're at, you say, you know what, I, I think I, I, I operate a lot from bitterness. Or, or maybe it's greed. Maybe, you know, I envy. I, these people have this and I don't have that. And I, Listen, you're not going to experience spiritual freedom and spiritual victory. If those things are in your heart and that's what's motivating you, you won't experience it. You'll miss the blessing of the freedom that God has given to you by his grace. You'll miss it every day, living in that every single day. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Seek those things above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection, your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Why? Because you're dead. And your life is hid with Christ and God. So when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you shall also appear with him in glory. 
We recently went through these scriptures, but I want to look at them again. Chapter, uh, verse 5. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, these things that, that are fleshly and carnal and of this world, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. And look what Paul says to these Corinth, uh, Colossian believers. He says, in the which time you used to walk in those things when you lived in them, when you lived in the flesh, when you lived in the world, when you were not following Christ, when you were living in sin, that's what you walked in. That's how you lived. But he reminds them, look, those things should be dead and make sure they stay dead. Verse 8, he goes on and says, but now you also put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Verse 9, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. For there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbar barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Look at verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and be uh, beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Look what he says. He goes on, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, listen to this standard. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, love, which is the glue of completion. It's the glue of maturity. Put on love. Live your life with love. Live your life in the way that Christ came and lived his life. Because he's the one that's living in you. You died. He, he, he arose. And now you are supposed to be living in that same love. And if you'll forgive like he forgave, if you've got a problem with somebody and you operate in these things, then guess what? You're going to be able to experience the spiritual freedom and the spiritual fruit that comes from those things. But if not, if you continue to walk like those who are in darkness walk, like you used to walk before you were freed from those things, before you were in Christ, if you walk in bitterness, if you walk in resentment, if you walk in anger and malice and envy and greed and all those things, if you walk in those things, then be sure... You will walk in the bondage to those things. Amen. Not in spiritual freedom and not in spiritual victory. Matthew chapter 12, as I close, I just want to look at a couple of verses, 30, 35 and 36. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account, give an account thereof in the day of judgment. What's driving you this morning? What's in there this morning? What, 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 are, what is the motive of your heart this morning? Is, is it love? Is it, is it true love? I, you know, I just want to follow Christ. I want to live like he lived. I don't have to have anything in this life but Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the blessings that he's given me. I'm thankful for my, my wife, my husband. I'm thankful for my, my, my kids. I'm thankful for my grandkids. I'm thankful for my health and my job and, and, the, and, the, and the temporal blessings that he's given me. But you can take it all away. Just give me Jesus. If that's where you're at, that's a good place to be. To live in that place where, you know what? I, I love that song. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. As the musicians make their way, again, what's driving you this morning? What's motivating you this morning? 
Is it, is it fleshly motives? Or are you operating in the Spirit? Are you are being driven by spiritual attributes? This world throws enough at us to operate in the flesh, right? Every day we can turn on the TV, we can turn on the radio, we drive down the road and see a billboard, and there's enough things in this world that, it, that the world throws at us to help us operate in the flesh. We don't, we don't need any more help with that. We've got enough stuff trying to, to, to foster greed in us and envy in us and, and, and enough stuff that we see about revenge and paying back and envy and bitterness. We see all that stuff. I want to say this morning, if you're a child of God, I want to urge you more now than ever, if you're struggling with those things, to cling to the Word of God. Turn to the Word of God every single day. Seek to in, be influenced by godly influence. You say, you know what? Everybody I work around, everybody I hang around is just negative, and, and everybody at my job is out to get somebody else, and everybody is, is always talking about somebody else, and, and it's just such a, I, I live, it feels like I live in such a toxic environment. Then seek to be influenced by the things that edify you, that, 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 that bring glory to God, that again are godly influence in your life. If that's what you're around all day long, then you need to spend a lot of time in God's Word and prayer and around other godly influences outside of that. But that's choice. So is walking in the Spirit. Choice. That's what Galatians chapter 5 says. Paul told the Galatians, he says, walk in the Spirit. It's a charge. It's a choice. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's obedience. Again, as I said in the beginning, as praying, if you're here and you have never run, ran to God, or maybe you thought you ran to God, maybe you've been in church for a long time, maybe you've been trying to be good, maybe you've, maybe you've said a prayer before, maybe you have an idea that, that well, I, I'm pretty sure that I'll go to heaven. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not 100% sure that you're going to heaven when you die, I wanna, I'm begging you to come this morning in this invitation. We'll have some people up here and they can show you in God's word exactly. And you say, no, I've, I already know what it looks like. I know what scripture says. And why don't you surrender your life today once and for all? Again, maybe when you came to, 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 to God before or tried to come to God before, maybe you were still holding on to, but I still want to be able to do this or I still want to be able to do this or, 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 or I had a, a different idea. Listen, I, I was thinking about that when we were, we were singing this morning. I was four years old when I said a prayer. I went to a baptismal, baptism, the, the baptistry and got wet. But it wasn't until I was 10 years old that I actually understood what that meant to give my life to Christ. And the 10-year-old mind, as much as the 10-year-old mind can understand, I've, I trusted Jesus Christ. I surrendered my life to him. But if that's not what you've done, if you've just said a prayer, or you're just trying to be good, or you have a mind thought that, that you know what, I, I think that's a good idea to believe in God. No, 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 no. That's not what faith is. faith is. Faith in Jesus Christ is this. I have no other option. Jesus is the only option. Period. His death on the cross, his resurrection, there's no other choice. There's no other option. And so when, when you put, just like the man intended to build a tower, counts the cost, it's everything. My life is hid. So no longer I have control. No longer I, I, I have the say. No longer I do what I want to do or anybody else tells me to do. My faith and my confidence, my trust, everything is now in Jesus Christ. If you've not done that, I'm begging you to come today and surrender your life. You can surrender your life right there in that seat. But if you do, I encourage you to tell somebody. 
Bible says, whosoever believed him should not be ashamed. But if you're a Christian here today, and I, I believe probably the majority of people here are, let's make sure that we're not trying to run for God with idols in our hand. Let's, let's, let's not be trying to say, you know what, I, I still, I want to run for God with, with all of my heart, but I still want to have a good job. No, no, no. That's an idol. Even the idol of self, what I want, my hobbies, my things that I, well, I want to run for God, but I still want to be able to, no, no. God affords us those things. He gives us the blessings in our life, but it's not a conditional thing. I will run for God regardless. That's where he wants us. Let's, let's, let's make sure we're not trying to run for God with idols in our hand. Those idols can even be our own ideas, our own thoughts of how life should be. And let's make sure that we're not operating in bitterness or resentment or any other fleshly attribute and expecting God to bring us victory every day and experience that freedom that's only found in walking in the Spirit. Let's make sure that our motives are right in our life especially as the children of God, supposed to be pointing people to to, to the Father and and Him being glorified through our good works. Let's make sure that our motives and our life are right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word and this message and the challenge that it's given to me. And Lord, as I've already prayed, lay it all down before you. God, I I truly, that's the desire of my heart is just to have you. Um, Lord, I realize this, you are the prize You are the great reward. You are our great reward. And so, Father, I pray that you would start with me and that you would go throughout this entire church. Those of us who are yours, I pray that you would stir our hearts this morning and that we would evaluate whether we are trying to hold on to anything in this life other than you. Lord, I also pray that you would help us to be honest with you and honest with ourselves and where we're at, what's motivating us. Lord, if we're operating or being motivated by any fleshly attribute, I pray that we would set those things aside, that we would repent of those things, and we determine today to leave this place to be motivated by spiritual things, primarily love. And we'll praise you for what you do. Again, Lord, if there's someone here that's not 100% sure that they're going to heaven when they die, I pray that they would come forward today, or they would tell somebody, or they would grab somebody and talk to them to make sure uh, that heaven's going to be their eternal home when they leave this world. Lord, we'll praise you for what you do. I ask you to move now in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.